So first and foremost. I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me, and my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken point? My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the rights are supposed to be. Agra has no business being that <laughs> thick. When the cultists win, we all win. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And, uh, you know, we had meant to talk about this before our last episode, but I got you sidetracked by talking about my son developing imaginary friends. Yep. Uh, we very recently uh, got into Mech Warrior 5. Yes. As a new game on the Xbox. Yes. Um, and uh, I actually, I haven't had the chance to mention it to you yet, but okay. last night I actually managed to get through uh, the fourth the fourth mission in the game. I actually managed oh. to get like playing my way through the I game. Should, I should probably start. So I'm, I'm, I'm that much closer to actually unlocking some of the stuff that, you know, will allow us to, oh. to do stuff. Very cool. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm having an even bigger blast with it than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I want you to tell everybody about like the part of the game that you figured out how to (laughs) unlock and do before producer George and I did, cause it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a, uh, Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. Also enjoying the hell out of Mech Warrior Five, which I did not expect. Um, I did and I didn't because uh, we tried a tank game that I didn't care for, um, and uh, I, I like World War One or World War Two fighter pilot games, but not okay. not jets or anything faster. Um, and I was like, well, I used to love at Virtual World playing BattleTech. Okay. And so that was a lot of fun. I did very well at it. I achieved the rank of master for whatever that's worth. Um, but, uh, you know, then the Mech Warrior games started coming out on the computers and, yeah. and it was way too complex and way too much. Well, I found a way to mod um, the mech chassis that they give you. Yeah. And it's not as moddable as I would like, but that's yeah. okay. But I'm basically recreating a lot of the old tech mechs. Uh, well, a lot of a lot of the old the, the clan mechs that were used at Virtual World. Yes, yeah, and and that's been a lot of fun because that enabled me to understand how to play the game better. Okay, and, and I was just playing uh, earlier today in in a moment of uh, relaxation, mm-hmm. and I figured out because uh, my my chief complaint has always been like, 
I'm running sideways and I'm pointed this way and I don't know how to reorient myself without mm -hmm. just tapping that Y button. Why well, I, I now know if I just look at the radar, just mm -hmm. like we used to in Battletech. In, in Battletech, you've got the, the cone, right, which shows your field of view, right, and the dotted line, which shows which way your legs are exactly. actually Exactly. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a hoot and a holler. And right I, now. now, I don't remember this from Virtual World, sure. but, but one of the other features that they've got is if you look just directly ahead at your HUD, you can mm -hmm. see there's a little white line going to one direction or the other that shows mm. you what the variation is from like your nose is pointed. If mm -hmm. you're, if you're, if your face and your feet are pointing in the same direction, uh -huh. there's just a vertical line there kind of in the middle of your HUD. When your feet start moving to the uh -huh. right, you start seeing the line get longer to the right and the other way to the left. You know, when I, don't, you I don't actually remember that. I don't, remember I don't know if that. Would be, okay, so yeah. but but if you look closely at your HUD, because mm -hmm. you know you you tend to play in cockpit view. Yes, I do. And I I have been trying to develop the skill of playing more often in co cockpit view because it's more fun. But yes. Also, a little bit more challenging because you can't look at your Mac and see your orientation. Right. But but if you use that, that's also a guide. Mm. My problem is I find that you know I wind up getting uh, target fixated and I stop looking at those indicators. Mm -hmm, on the mm -hmm. HUD, and then I'm like, wait a minute, why did I just jerk to the left? Is it because no, I didn't get hit? Oh no, it's because I just turned my legs, and all of a sudden my torso is able to swing right in that direction right. because I was turned all the way to the left. See, and, that's you know. the that's the one downside. Is <clears throat> that in Battletech uh, it, at Virtual World, you were able to do 360 rotation, yeah, until you got damaged enough where it would start to impede your rotation, yeah, uh, and sometimes you would get stuck. By the way, um, <laughs> which but you still I had that happen a couple of times yeah. myself. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I I very much um, am still working with that. Yeah, but it's 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 a hoot. It's, it's yeah. a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm I'm glad that you and uh, producer George found that game. Yeah. So, all right. So last time, yes, we spoke. Uh, the doctor was in. Yes. Yes. So. At the end of last episode, I, I basically kind of summed up with my thesis that we we in the United States are not ever going to get a Doctor Who show. Mm -hmm. The closest thing we're going to get is Loki. Right. And just to kind of briefly recap, Doctor Who, of course, is the longest running science fiction series in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from the BBC, it is about a time traveling alien and his human companions, who he kind of picks up like lost puppies uh, sure. at various points in his career, his and her career, because now the doctor has been both male and female. Um, and uh, his his their adventures through time uh, where they run into various aliens and, you know, ancient intelligences and et cetera, bent on conquest, domination and whatever. And they escape and or overcome those forces. Often, for some reason, Earth is always a very common target of invasion. I think just because it's humans writing the series and this is our dirt ball. But, yeah, you I know, mean, it, it, that's true in so many other well, the Marvel uh, films, yeah, you know, it, and it, it, it like comes out in that... the entirety of the of the yeah. universe. How did this many of the Infinity Stones wind up on this particular ball of dirt? Yeah, at this particular like, time, you know, uh, it comes out that this world is a uh, a nexus point. Yeah. So so, but in any event, mm -hmm. uh, this world is a fixed point in space and time. Mm. Uh, to to borrow from right. uh, Doctor Who. 
So, uh, but Loki, the the series in the mm-hmm. MCU, which mm-hmm. good that we brought the MCU into the conversation there, is the closest thing we're going to get to the kind of thing that Doctor Who is. Mm-hmm. And we touched on it a little bit in, in the last episode that there is something very specifically American about Star Trek. Yes. As an example, it is built from our national character and our dominant national identity. Okay. The, the mm-hmm. story that we tell ourselves about our our nation's identity okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um it was pitched as wagon train star trek that is was pitched as wagon train to the stars which right there mm-hmm. it's it's a western sort of right even um, though it really was a steamboat it was really stars. yeah steamboat yeah. to the stars <laughs> much better analogy but the the themes within it i kind of i kind of want to want to deconstruct star trek for a moment to kind of take a look at what the iconic american sci-fi tv series Mm -hmm. looks like star trek involves a crew Mm -hmm. of characters now of course we're primarily focused on and i'm looking at the original series for this because it is from the same time period basically as doctor who in the in the 60s uh, Doctor Who is 63. Star Trek was 60... uh, 67 67. to 69. Okay. So they're, they're, I mean, to a historian's eye, they're, they're same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so while, while the Brits were, had developed and were then running with the doctor here in the United States, um, and now I've forgotten his name, the guy who came up with the concept for Star Trek... Oh, bad nerd. Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry yeah. uh, came up with the organization of Starfleet mm-hmm. and an exploration mission mm-hmm. that has a military structure uh, with with a great deal of hierarchy and rank. Right. With the main character being the captain of the ship. Right. Um, and with, you know, the other, the other senior officers being his, you know, dynamic trio partners, and then the less senior officers being kind of the recurring supporting cast. Mm -hmm. And it's very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. It is overtly utopian. Yeah. Okay. Starfleet exists in, in the Federation of Planets, which is a society in which, you know, ancient ideas about religion and, you know, hangups from, from right. Earth's primitive past have been dropped and everybody lives in this post-scarcity society, which doesn't ever really get fully fleshed out in the original series. We just know, well, you know, we overcame ideological differences and mm-hmm. we don't have scarcity anymore. So we're really actually kind of hyper-socialist, but it's never put that way. Right. Anyway. Right. Anyway, I'm kind of getting off this, but, but it's, it's, it's this again, very utopian idea Mm -hmm. that is this, uh, story about a starship captain in a leadership position in this organization with very strong military character to it. Mm -hmm. And it is, and they are, they're engaged in an exploratory mission out into space. 
mm-hmm. uh, to to you know make contact with new alien races, and it's all it's all very uh, it's it's phrased very much in in noble overtones, kind of Dudley Do Right of the Stars kind of kind of outlook to it, and so it's really really Cold War American, yeah, like. Like immensely Cold War American. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're we're uh we get introduced to the Klingons, we get introduced to the Romulans, and it's immediately obvious they're very clearly the Soviets mm-hmm. and 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 or the Chinese, right, you know. Right. Uh in in, you know, alien makeup. You know, and and so I mean all of the all of the themes mm-hmm. And all of the characteristics are really clearly a product of their time in the United States. Yes. And they are very clearly built around a very specific kind of American identity. Mm -hmm. Our popular culture glorifies the captain of the ship. Yes. Glorifies the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Glorifies the idea of the order is good. The organization has high ideals. The organization right. is, you know, noble. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we need to have structure and we need to have order uh, in order to have peace and prosperity and freedom right. for everybody. This is how we attain this. This is how we attain all of this society. in this utopian right. society right. is through, you know, uh, this, this, we have Starfleet. And and again, Starfleet is quasi military, yeah, in its nature. Yeah, you can thank Gene Kuhn for that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So now now to compare that mm-hmm. to the Doctor, the Doctor is an individual mm-hmm. who ran away from his responsibilities in order to go see cool shit. Yeah, that's different. Furthermore, um, he doesn't go out of his way mm-hmm. to like, he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to hop in my time machine and I'm going to go back to the battle of Kanae because I mm-hmm. think it went the wrong way and I'm going to fix that. He says, I'm going to go back to ancient Rome and you know, he shows up in Pompeii three days before the mountain's going to explode. <laughs> You know, uh, very famously and, and, you know, finds out there's, you know, alien fuckery going on in the background and he winds up getting sucked into dealing with the alien fuckery in the background. That's, that's, I, I guarantee you, you're going to get back to that point. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Because you've seen Loki. So, and and again, hold on, before we go any further, I do also want to say, just like in the last episode, I don't know when they're going to come up, but I want to blanket just state. There will be, there will be spoilers for Loki in the middle of this. I would say they're going to be spoilers for some episodes of Dr. Who, but the series has been on since 1960 fucking three. So, and I haven't actively watched the show in a couple of years. So I'm not going to be spoiling anything that's at all recent. So no spoiler alerts for Doctor Who. Just know I'm going to talk about it. And there are going to be spoiler alerts for Loki. So, so just, you know, blanket spoiler, blanket spoiler alert. So we're going to talk about stuff. pause it here. And when you're done watching all of Loki, come back, hit play. There I'll you give go. you five seconds. 
so that should pretty much take care of it right there. And welcome back. I hope yeah, you enjoyed okay. binging Loki. Uh, what I wanted to say uh, was that um, it seems like a couple of things are happening. Number one, American censorship was so up its own ass. <laughs> I mean, they were literally. <laughs> yeah. So, so you couldn't okay. have rich stories anyway. Um, and and American yeah. censorship was there to make sure that order was good. Yes. And was there to make sure that. I mean, they literally sent people down there with uh, measuring tape to measure the cleavage of the woman on the set. Oh, I know. Of Star Trek. Oh, well, they did that in the movie studios, too. Yeah, it's it's insane. There's a great story about one of the ways where they, they would actually have a have a sensor climb a ladder mm. to look down to measure to to get to Jesus. get an idea. Yeah, I mean, it was nuts. So and I, I don't know how it was in Britain, but Britain seems to have a more um, literary understanding of how stories work. As, as a culture, I think it's important to point out they yeah. were the ones who kicked the Puritans out. Yes, and the Puritans came. We are here. the ones. We are the ones who are culturally the dominant culture is descended from the Puritans. Yes. So I think that's basically like like painting with a broad brush because it saves time. I think that's that's where a lot of that can be. Yeah. Kind of so, explained away. So. I guess my point also is racism. The uh, the not I I'm gonna point out that the British have racism. Oh down. Oh, oh I know I, I know I down. know. But I'm yeah. talking about a lot of the ways in which our our cultural yeah, prurience yeah. is yeah. So anyway, but uh, I I would say that just the difference between Star Trek and your Doctor Who that I've never seen. Yeah. Um, would also include the fact that America was so up its own ass in the '60s <laughs> about. Censoring every little thing. I mean, to the yeah. point where uh, cartoons in the '80s uh, had to be massively rewritten because you do not elevate one over the others because it has to be a collective. Yeah. Elevating one over the others is much more of an adult TV show thing, which would have been Star mm -hmm. Trek, and yet it was I, you know, really good ideas poorly written quite often, mm. but it wasn't poorly written necessarily because Gene Roddenberry was terrible at it. Although I would say that Fuckboy Roddenberry was not very good at it. <laughs> uh, but he also was dealing with a studio <laughs> yeah. that was just letting the air out of his tires left, right, and center. Oh, jogging his sword arm constantly. Whereas the BBC is run literally by the government. It's not that they didn't have censors. They did. Oh, boy, did they. But... They sounds like they didn't censor ideas as much as they censored. They they did not thereof. they did not censor ideas as much. Number one, number two, and now we get into the the um, the the idea in our culture that uh, there, there is a kids ghetto mm -hmm. in our mm -hmm. in our in our media, which is to say. In the UK, you could approach issues on a show that was family viewing. You could come at ways, you could come at those ideas in ways that didn't have to be like overt. Mm -hmm. Writers in the United States, if they were writing a moral lesson for children, because partly because we're culturally descended from the Puritans and partly because they assumed kids were all stupid. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, those, those kind of moral lessons had to be very blunt and delivered like sledgehammer blows. Whereas part of what the BBC was trying to do was elevate the art form and, and, you know, you know, you know, they were, they were actively working to be literary and, 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 and that kind of thing. And I mean, in a show like Dr. Who, which is rubber face aliens and, kind of existed in its own sci-fi ghetto within the BBC Mm -hmm. that still bled over into the way the show was done. Right. So that there were interesting kind of ideas and there were thematic elements that started being played with that, that didn't get censored mostly because they could, they could be more oblique about them. If that makes sense, they could, they, they, yeah. the writers, the writers were allowed to be oblique because the assumption was the kids are going to get it anyway. Well, and there's not, I would say also an underlying assumption of the communists are trying to pervert our children. Yes, this is true. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think that one of the reasons you have so much censorship and have so much, you have to uh, say this thing out loud is because if you don't, if someone shares a tool, <laughs> clearly they're it's, it's collectivism. You're, yeah. you're looking a little you know, pink over there. Right. Yeah. You know, it, and, yeah. You know, it, yeah. Maybe, maybe killing the red shirts was actually, <laughs> there might've been, there might've been some, some like, subconscious symbolism. Yeah, hey, hey, look over, look over there. We're killing red shirts. You don't have to worry about us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Hadn't thought of that, but yeah. <laughs> so, Um, and, and we have this concept within our, within, within the the dominant culture of the United States Mm -hmm. of this idea of rugged frontiersman, hero, individual, but we then after world war two, we see that then grafted onto this idea of, you know, what it is that put us at the top of the heap internationally, uh-huh. which was, you know, a military, our army, right. you know, put us right. in the position of being the world's superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, we are one of the two in a, in a bipolar circumstance. Um, and so th- that is fundamentally uh, part of the DNA of all of the science fiction stories that we see coming forward right now the other big example that we have in the united states is star wars and the thing is star wars is a western run through a blender of japanese cinema and then strained and brought back Mm -hmm. onto an american screen right with with a very heaping helping of the hero with a thousand faces thrown in on top of it yes and it is space fantasy yeah that is uh, very much about a lone, heroic, innocent figure mm-hmm. who leaps at the call. Yep. And his supporting characters are all stock characters out of either fairy tales and or westerns. And so, again, we have this intensely mm-hmm. American identity frontier nation. Like, right. yeah. you know, his yeah. best buddy, his best buddy is literally a gunslinging outlaw. Right. 
Like, I don't know how you get more Western than who he meets in a literally called a cantina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how you get any more like John Wayne Americana kind of core ideas than that. Right. You know, because it was written by, you know, a boy from the Central Valley of California. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um and we've we've talked about that ad ad nauseum previously, mm-hmm. but so every other science fiction franchise that we have developed collectively here in the United States is borrowing from or responding to one of those two stories. They mm-hmm. are either responding to Star Trek, or they're responding to Star Wars, or if you're Battlestar Galactica, they're stealing gleefully from both to try to cash in. Yeah. Okay. Well, and like. And- and what I love about any and all of that is if you're responding to Star Trek, you're responding to a very specific kind of sci-fi. Yeah. And if you're responding to Star Wars, you think you're responding to star- sci-fi, and you're not. <laughs> you're responding to westerns and fairy tales. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and so because of how those two universes... Mm-hmm are the, you know, 500 pound, 800 pound gorillas of our psyche. Right. Yeah. In terms of genre in this country, we're, we're not going to be able to get over those facets of our identity enough to have a character Mm -hmm. who is not any of those things. Again, again, yeah. The doctor did not jump at the call. He literally ran away from, his duties. Mm-hmm. He ran mm-hmm. away from the society he was born in because like in later, in later incarnations of the doctor, it's been, it's been intimated that like, well, you know, I found that, you know, all this total control over the flow of time was wrong. And I, you know, didn't want to be part of it, but like he freely admits, they freely admit, no, I also did it just because I wanted to run away and see cool shit. Like I didn't want to do that. Do you think some you know, of that has to do with the fact that there was a king who abdicated in living memory of when the show started? Or am that I going might have been that boy, I, you, you might you might be That's picking fair. you might be you might be, you know, making a connection on the crazy board where, right. where there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that was I mean, of course, that was a huge event for the United Kingdom and within the popular psyche of the united kingdom it was a big deal mm-hmm. so there might have been th- that might have that might have been something that the writers kind of twigged on okay but i don't think it was like directly yeah it wasn't it a writer was sitting like, down yeah, going, going remember yeah remember you know, yeah 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 okay so it, it is interesting to me that you you have in the british story of the doctor, a man who is deliberately going, his adventure starts when he refuses the call. Yeah. And, uh, and in the American story, he can't wait to find a call. Yeah. No, he's he's looking for a call actively. Um, and I think a big part of that is Lucas being from where he's from. Yeah. (laughs) Like get me out of here. Yeah. Oh my God. You know? And again, there's a very American, aspect to that of no no i want to go off i want to go i want to go i want to go have adventures in in you know british storytelling tradition there's a lot more you know i'm i'm you know 
happy at home. I like home. Right. I don't want to leave home. Oh fuck. I got to leave home. Yeah. You know, and then, and then the, the, the ending of that story arc within, Mm -hmm. within the hero's journey is returning home. And I am home. Mm-hmm. I am changed. I mean, it's Tolkien. Yeah. I am changed. I am never going to be the same man I was, person I was when I right. left. But I am home. Right. You know, there is still that return. Yes. And, like, there ain't none of that in Star Trek or Star Wars. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, like in, right. in, in um, Voyager, they wanted to get home. Mm-hmm. Like that was their whole goal, and it ultimately did lead to that. But it's not the same spiritual kind of. And now I am home, and I am changed by my journey. You know, kind of thing that you see mm-hmm. in Tolkien and in other stories that that follow that arc from a British perspective, right? And so we are still even even. Two cent practically two centuries after the close of the frontier in this country, mm-hmm. there is still this aspect of our subconscious that keeps telling these stories like we're still a frontier nation. Right. We 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 can't let go of it. We're we're having we're we're having a it's... really hard time getting to the point where we understand that no no, there ain't no frontier anymore. You know, it's it's interesting to me because, I mean, like I said, one of the things, one of the two pillars upon which we base all of our sci-fi yeah. is not even sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and yet, it's it's such a classically American thing. We manifest it by, by not understanding it. <laughs> and it reminds me of <clears throat> people's understanding, misunderstanding, of the three-fifths compromise in American yeah. history. You know, just briefly, the three-fifths compromise said that for the southern states, they could count three-fifths of every slave uh, toward a a voter. Yeah, toward, no, toward representation. Right. And and a lot of people took that as like, well, three, you know, I'm I'm only three-fifths of a man. It's like, no, it's much, much worse. It is much, much worse. Because what it really did was you had a whole class of people, slaves uh defined by their ethnicity yes who now counted toward the representation of the people who who held owned them in slavery them, who hold who yeah. held them in bondage and yeah and these people now are super voters yeah it's not like you got three-fifths of a vote no <laughs> no you just you, helped your pile your existence helped pile up yes. their political power your yeah. your enslavement empowered them even more yeah and uh and and a lot of people they they, they don't see past the math of a three-fifths yeah thing because that's in itself awful yeah but it's nowhere near as awful as the reality and yet it's it's so hard to get like that's not what has been branded into our brain What's no. been branded into our brain, and I mean brand like Nabisco. Yeah. Uh, what has been branded into our brain is the uh, I'm three-fifths of a person is what that says about me. It's like, no, no. it's it's far worse. Um, you're not a person, 
and now you count towards someone else. Yeah. Uh, Three-fifths of you counts towards someone towards, else having yeah. even more power of personhood than you don't have. That's really what it they're, is. They're stealing your personhood. Yes. For, poli for political purposes. To to yeah. empower themselves to continue to, continue to make policies to hold to you in bondage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I love about that aspect is when I bring up, uh, and see, this is where you can actually say, you know, cause critical race theory doesn't get taught in high schools, mm. but yet anytime you look at the laws and, and how race interacts with that, <clears> I always point out, Hey, look at the neighborhoods or look at the States in which you have federal penitentiaries and state penitentiaries and realize that anybody who's a felon in there does not ever get to vote. And yet they count toward the population. They count toward population. So how is that not a three-fifths situation? That's a really Even worse. good question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet nobody sees that for what that actually is. And it's the same thing. And it's because we've just lied about it and, and confused ourselves through manifestation Yeah. this whole time. Uh, which, again, I, it's a long way around to get to... Star Wars isn't sci-fi, and yet we tell and ourselves it's sci-fi. we tell ourselves it is. So it might as well be. It's kind of like the word irregardless. Yeah. It has just been pumped into a word. It has become a word yes. by, by force of existence. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're and just going to make it one. Yeah, as, as, as a guy who teaches a dead language, I'm okay with that for languages. But it is interesting to me. <laughs> in, in <laughs> when we're talking realms. about the zitgeist, there's yes. an interesting kind of kind of yeah. point to be made there. So anyway. Yeah, and, and so... That's, I mean, again, we're, 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 I'm just reinforcing my thesis that we're not going to get a hero like the doctor. Right. Because we, we don't have the national psyche to generate a hero like the doctor. Mm -hmm. We need our heroes to be mm -hmm. the person who jumps at the call. We need, right, right. We have, well, we need this, heroes, not just protagonists. This is true. And okay. I think that might be a fundamental difference that there too. Could be. Yeah. I, I think I think that's a good point. And you know, the doctor um very rarely, it's not it's it doesn't never happen, but it is it is almost never the doctor's intention to go somewhere to to do daring do and fight evil. Right. He's going somewhere because he's got a new companion and he says let me show off. I can take you anywhere you want to go, anytime, any place. What do you want to see? Well, that is a post-British Empire thing, too, isn't it? Though, <laughs> and let's so, go to Fiji. Yeah. Why? Well, because we can. Because we can. Yeah. And uh, and so that has meant he's gone to the destruction, the, the death of the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. That means he's gone to the birth of the planet Earth, the very beginning, like the okay. moment where the planet's core accreted. Right. And then and it's found... like thicker in the middle. Yeah. And, so it's and... the, the Earth birth with a lot of girth. Nice. Thanks. Nice. Yeah. Thick. Yeah. Um, and so, and in the process of watching that, found out, hey, wait, there's a giant, nasty alien spider living Played at the Played by Earth. Colin Firth. Nice. Yeah living living at the center of earth's core mm -hmm. who you know millennia later winds up anyway so yeah okay. like and so it's in those like uh and then one of my favorite episodes is uh his new companion this is with uh 11 matt smith as the doctor in one okay. of his first episodes amy pond his new companion says i want you to take me to renaissance venice and they go to renaissance venice cool and they find vampires naturally but it's not that kind of show, so they're not vampires, they're aliens. 
and we get the doctor having the the wonderful line mm-hmm. of well you've got to ask then what could they possibly be that's so bad they want us to think that they're a vampire <laughs> and he and he does the fangs with it's it's amazing so and and then so okay well there are alien vampires in you know renaissance venice Venice. sure now we've got to you know we've we've got to you know rescue the other companion and figure out what's going on and defeat you know we've now found they're doing bad things we've got to defeat them Mm -hmm. and so that is how the doctor winds up in an adventure okay as opposed to luke skywalker shows up by the way spoilers for mandalorian i'll give you 15 seconds 14 so 13, luke skywalker shows 12, up playing 11, a smaller 10, version of a guitar nine, uh whose eight, strings you can only six, find in certain spots six, in texas uh at so, three in the morning yeah nice uh no. yeah so uh that's so, why you get that cool yeah, music twang yeah, yeah no but yeah he he shows up in mandalorian mm-hmm. to wreck bad guys because he's there to to rescue the child right right and so that's how an American action hero, sci-fi hero shows up to do stuff. Well, and that's paying you know, off like well, yeah, a yeah, huge I, thing yes. that still is that through line. Yeah. Like, you know, Luke, Luke is, is only reluctant at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, and then, and you know, he's he sees... not really like, like he's, yeah. he's, his, his, his reluctance is not it's nominal. At, it's, it's kind of nominal reluctance <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of a, well, I don't really know about all this mystical crap, but like, right. you know, my aunt and uncle are dead, so I want to fuck up whoever did it. Right. Like, you know, um, and and in The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. Din Djarin is not really a reluctant hero at all. He starts out being kind of an anti-hero, but once once he He's makes Josie Wales, I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> once but but. And again, an American archetype. I right. Mean, it is. It is no shit. A space western. Yes, it is. Like we haven't done anything about the Mandalorian yet. Down we to need the music. To. Down. Oh my god, the soundtrack. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's like two or three episodes about the Mandalorian we could do, but um, you know, so so that is that is our collectively kind of our hero arc that is that is how our Mm -hmm. our our protagonists behave that's not how the doctor behaves and that is why Mm -hmm. loki that is part of why loki gives off such amazing doctor who vibes yes because now we're going to finally start talking about loki Mm -hmm. um he shows up in the first episode Mm -hmm. and and this is where the spoilers are going to start i can't yeah, I mean, we like, already told seriously, you to we warned you at the 14 minute, but, mark, so. but like he, he gets the Tesseract right in, in that, in that opening sequence does his, you know, I disappear move. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's being captured by the cops. Right. Like who are the cops? Like, right. That they it can is, capture Loki. Yeah. From the very beginning mm-hmm. of the show. We're number one, we're following very clearly an anti-hero. We're following someone best. who fled. Yeah, we're following someone who who fled, who mm-hmm. ran away. And now at the very beginning, his goal mm-hmm. starts out 
as like in, in the very first minutes of the series, mm-hmm. his goal is, well, I'm going to get the Tesseract. I'm still going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to become king like, right. of, of everything. Right. Like that's still my goal. And so he is not, he is, he is very much not the doctor. He is, he is the master. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's a doctor who villain in the opening sure. few moments sure. of the series. And he's being captured by the Judoon mm-hmm. who are, space cops in the far future in doctor sure, who sure. they also have the heads of rhinoceri but that's beside the point anyway i mean if you actually look at the tva hunter uniforms uh-huh. and you ever look up judoon oh yeah like yeah and and i just realized that today okay. while i was thinking about this episode um there there are some remarkable similarities now part of that is because they're both inspired by riot cops so uh-huh. you know but so um, he gets picked up by the TVA's hunters. Right. Who arrest him and carry him off to the TVA's headquarters. And the first couple of episodes of the show are like a, looking back on it, they're like a background episode or a below mm-hmm. decks episode mm-hmm. of Doctor Who. Because instead of following the doctor, we're following... The bureaucracy, the bureaucracy, the Jadoon, you know, supporting kind of, kind of sort of good guys, but overzealous, frequently overzealous, good guy kind of characters. Uh, They're, they're kind of in, in Doctor Who, they kind of embody the idea of uh, law before everything else. Like they, they, they they want to, they want to be protectors. They want to, they want to, they want to save everybody. But if that means we've got to step on people's toes in order to do it, like they're not fascist, but they're overzealous. Yeah. I mean, the TVA overzealously overprotective. The TVA is basically the same thing. They're pruning people left and right. They are protecting the sacred timeline. Now here's, here's where there's, there's some important differences between the Jadoon and Mm -hmm. TVA. The TVA from from the like as soon as you really like we get about two episodes in Mm -hmm. because they only have six episodes to work with and so the the tva starts looking pretty fascist pretty quick really fast yes the jadoon never quite get there the tva starts looking like okay wait they they are everybody working for them is very much convinced that what they're doing is 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 necessary and it's a necessary evil because whatever's going to happen, mm-hmm. if they're not there, whatever's going to happen is going to be so much infinitely worse. Okay. But then the very first time Sylvie says it to Loki, she says, you're working with, you know, your fascist time cops. Right. Or whatever, whatever phrase it was. But she explicitly uses the word fascist. And the moment that comes out, you're like, oh my God, they really are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And... So then we get through the first couple of episodes Mm -hmm. and then we get to Lamentis. Okay. They arrive on Lamentis. They get stuck on Lamentis. Yes. And everything about that episode Mm -hmm. felt and looked like Doctor Who. Visually, Okay. What what you said in our last episode yeah. about the kind of fudging visually making yeah. it feel yeah. like the frame rate was being messed with. There there is something there is something to the shininess mm-hmm. of of like the, the the kind of the nature of the lighting and the shininess of everything. Yeah, that is reminiscent of so many different sets from Doctor Who. Gotcha. And 
the guard uniforms when they when they're getting on the train the the faceless yeah sort of faceless guards with the with the big funny looking swoopy visors on their helmets and the oddly fat looking like sweaters mm-hmm. that the guards are wearing that is so doctor who like the that that whole aesthetic mm-hmm. is is so very much like visually it sure. would, it would belong right at home in any number of doctor who episodes and by that time mm-hmm. loki is is still saying he's telling himself no no i want to take over the tva yeah but he's clearly I want to take shifting. it over but he's clearly yeah there's a part of that that is still his his self visualization his his self identification still you know kind of trying to tell himself no mm-hmm. no i'm 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 in this i'm in this for the long con i've I got my eyes right, on the prize right. you know when in point of practical fact he's starting to notice well no no this episode is where he switches over to being he this episode is where he fully enacts his humanity like yeah. it took all of ragnarok to until the end for him to like be okay with hugging his brother yeah um and this was that moment yeah. Like at the very end when they're sitting there and he reaches out to her. Yeah. 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 And then everybody watches the, the, the variants. Yes. Just like spiking. <coughs> they're like, Oh shit. What yeah. happened? Right. You know? Um, and so that, that whole episode, mm-hmm. um, like the, the plot arc of the episode of, okay, now we're stuck on the planet. Well, and we have to figure out how we're going to get off of here. And it's not a problem we can solve by beating people up. Right. Like, I mean, there's a fight scene in it because it's an MCU show. But, but I mean, she very clearly says, no, your idea of doing this is not going to work. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, and, well, she yeah. calls him out on that's not actually a plan. Yeah. You, you, that you don't know what a plan actually is. Yes. Like, you're, well, I, and I'm going to point out something uh, here as well. Uh, where they are in Lamentis is, uh, and this is brought up um, in the previous episode, it, it's that um, he has figured out her trick. Her trick. She hides in Armageddon's. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. And uh, that reminds me of, because I have a lot of students who love Doctor Who. Yeah, okay. Um, and that reminds me of discussions that I hear from them say from time to time fixed point in time yes so there is there is there is a thematic parallel there that what happens on lamentus can't be changed right what you you can the the doctor the doctor talks about okay i can i can fix this i can change this i can change this um but this is this i'm sorry this i can't do that's a fixed point in time they even go to the same place at one point they go to pompeii yeah oh yeah they do and have have a wonderful moment with Tom Hiddleston, who is, uh, who a, is classics a classics major, <laughs> getting to actually say shit in Latin. And I will tell you how stoked my daughter and my son were to hear that. And they both said, "Wow, his pronunciation is pretty good." And I was like, "Yes, yeah. it is." Well, that's what you get. And from... I was looking at the grammar, and I was like, "Oh, that's some, that's okay. That is not just the I am here today. I am sitting under a tree." There is also another one sitting under the tree. Uh-huh. Together, we sit under the tree. No, it was, you know, he he used the phrase, the name for me is Loki. Now, it translates to my name is Loki. Yeah. But he literally used a, uh, a dative of possession, which is, that's a little extra. 
Like <laughs> you did not, you did not have well, to of, do that. Of course, he has to be extra. No, I don't mean extra like uh, that. Oh, I'm okay. saying like that's that is a clear understanding of the appropriate grammar. You know, like oh, okay. if someone says hello to you, yeah, they're greeting you, right? Yeah. But really, what they're doing is saying "Heil, low there," which is a command. You sir have good health over there. Low there. Yeah. Right. But yeah. we don't treat it like that. No. You know? So if it, it would be like the equivalent to just saying, sup, to yeah. somebody. Uh, and and all the cultural understanding of the language is yeah. like, oh, okay, that means what is up. Yeah. Um, And you just shortened it down. You're not telling me, you're not demanding that I eat dinner right now. Yeah. You're not saying sup. You yeah. Know? Uh, and, and and it would be similar, like instead of you know, if somebody were to write a script, that you know, uh, one character greeting the other would say, "Sup, not much, you," you know, and that that would be it. As compared to, "Good morrow, good fellow." Yeah. How yeah, yeah. are you on this fine morning? I am well. The birds have chirped. You know, it's like <laughs> they could have done that with their Latin, but yeah, they didn't. But they didn't. You know, they yeah. did, they went they did a better better job. Okay. So, yeah. All right. It was so you're kind of saying it was more naturalistic for somebody who who would have actually been a, a Latin speaker at the time. Yeah, it, it was okay. much more colloquial Latin. Okay. Than uh than, than textbook. Then I then I've heard used and not only the pronunciation that was cool, but the grammar itself was better than what I heard in Supernatural. You know? Well, okay. To be yeah. fair, they're invoking a god all the time. Yeah, so but, you know, and and you know. and the argument could be made that most of the Latin you hear in Supernatural is church Latin. Yeah, it's Ecclesiastes from centuries later. Yes, when but the grammar is the grammar. Yeah, well, okay. Granted, so, the grammar is yeah, the, okay. the the Latin grammar I heard in the Pompeii spot of Loki uh, was better than the grammar that I heard in Lost when it turns out some of the others speak Latin. Okay. So. All right. There you go. All right. Very so anyway, cool. Yeah. No. It's, it's one. It's one of the most entertaining yeah. moments of the, of the whole series. Is yeah. him standing on the back of that cart, shouting, "You're all gonna die! Nothing matters!" Right. And he's so fucking gleeful about it. Yeah. Because he was right. Yeah. Well, because he was proving you know, himself right. Yeah. This is a fixed <laughs> moment in time. Yeah. And a uh, fixed point in time. And uh, what I love, too, also, is that the the street that he's sitting on. Yeah. That's the one that you see. Like, if you type in Pompeii Road. Yeah. That's the street. <laughs> literally that street. <laughs> I have students. I have pictures of students walking on that street. That's just okay. kind of fun. Yeah. That's entertaining. Yeah. So, yeah. So... He, he, they, they, he and Mobius, which yes. by the way, if you're going to give a time agent a name, like how perfect is that? And I, especially since he doesn't know how old he is, where he yeah. began or where he ends and, yeah. and he keeps coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do wish that they would have him show up with like less jacket, less tie, uh-huh. you know, less yeah. shoes just so he's, he's stripping. Stripping. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I also, I'm sure there are, there are plenty I, of plenty of Wilson fans who who would yeah. like that too for different reasons. True. Than you. True. I also really wish they would have done this in Loki. Have him keep having moments where it would have been totally appropriate for him to go wow, <laughs> and never have him do it, and then have one scene at like episode five yeah. or six or episode five at the end yeah. where you know how uh, at the end of uh what was it uh age of ultron yeah steve rogers like avengers 
and then it cuts. Yeah. And he was about to say assemble. Yeah. But have Wilson tight in on Wilson's face yeah. when he sees something really cool and have him go and then it cuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so it never pays it off. I would have loved that. Just give everybody blue balls for yes. that. Like yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're evil. Yes. Um <laughs> so so but we we see Loki turn into yes. the doctor. Mm-hmm. In this, or, or or into a kind of an avatar of at the Lamentis, doctor yeah. at at Lamentis yeah. in this moment where he 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 stops being a Doctor Who villain mm-hmm. who is looking for power, looking for whatever. Number right. one, at this point, he just wants to escape. Yeah, and number two, he has now determined. Okay, yeah, no, no, you know what? No, fuck that. Right. Which is a moment the doctor always hits. Oh. There is always a point in a in a storyline, especially uh-huh. in, in in anything that is a multi like we got this yeah, serial yeah. and this serial and this serial. Like there's always a moment where the doctor goes, All right, okay, no. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm going to stop being nice. Gotcha. And uh and and then and then we see things like uh, you know, the ending of the family of blood. Uh, where the tenth Doctor chains one of these nearly immortal pan-dimensional aliens uh, at the heart of a neutron star for eternity, uh, traps another one of them in every mirror everywhere all the time. If you ever look in a mirror and see something flicker and then don't see it again, oh, that's okay. her. Like like mythical, you know, trickster god Avenger kind of kind of shit right. he pulls off. And this is the moment where Loki, as a trickster god Avenger, kind mm-hmm. of determines, okay, yeah, you know what, I've got something to care about, and and now now it's on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um and and He answers the call. He answers the call. Yeah. Um now Sylvie, mm-hmm. his variant, mm-hmm. um the has, one to whom he is the assistant. He the one the one to whom he is the companion. Yes. Basically. Um, has has had that moment a long time before, mm-hmm. and so she's the she turns out being the catalyst for him to have that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they wind up having at the at the end of episode six, uh-huh. as they confront he who remains, mm-hmm. they have their own or Hiddleston Loki right. Prime lack of a better term variant loki not mm-hmm. loki prime but our new our you. new loki prime right because the original one is dead um yeah they 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 have their sitting in a hallway with the end of of two wires moment oh yeah with kang they there is there is a legitimate Immortus, moral yeah yeah they, they have they have their legitimate moment of no wait right and and the and the thing about it is, and this is again, how he is not following the um, the typical American science fiction hero archetype. Mm-hmm. It doesn't turn into, no, I'm gonna fucking kill him. No, you can't. He doesn't right. turn into Captain America. Right. He doesn't fully go. No, we can't do that. That would make us as bad as him. He doesn't right. turn into Clark. He doesn't turn into Bruce Wayne. Or Clark Kent, for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, 
he says, we, we got to stop and we got to think about this for a minute. Sure. Let's just think about it. And the moral ambiguity of you can't trust and I can't be trusted. Right. Comes back and bites as it turns out the whole universe in the ass. Right. In that moment. And, and that moral quandary Mm-hmm. From a character who has his Loki has his roots as being an antihero. The Doctor has never really been an antihero. Sure, but for us as a viewing audience to get to a place of mm-hmm. moral ambiguity in a protagonist, we have to start with him as an antihero. Right, right. For it to be kind of comprehensible for us, mm-hmm. you know, again because of those issues of identity that I talked about before. And, and so we, we have this great, very, very Hoovian mm-hmm. kind of dynamic on top of all of the other vibes that I've talked about, you know, right. being, being taken kind of from that, that same kind of mentality. And, and so it was for me as a fan of Dr. Who, mm-hmm. um, and, and previously what I, what I, said before was the closest thing we're ever going to see in the United States. Doctor who is uh, the TV series, the librarians, which I now have to amend that statement because Loki is a much better fit. But what I was looking at there was the, the kind of protagonist, the, the lead librarian Flynn Carson Mm -hmm. uh, is the same kind of kooky, Okay. Protagonist kind of character, uh, kind of half mad. You never really know entirely what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. He always has a plan, but his mouth can't keep up with his brain. So okay. when, you're, when you're listening to him talk, it sounds like he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. But, gotcha. you know, he's playing three-dimensional chess. Um, And, by the way, that's also a very fun series. Okay. A great time. I highly recommend that as well. But Loki because it explicitly involves time travel mm-hmm. and all of the kinds of themes that you can get into with it. Right. Um, is, is I think a closer facsimile. Okay. And I don't think we, it like within my lifetime, I don't think our, our dominant national identity is going to change enough for us to be able to get, a version of Doctor Who for ourselves. And I think Loki is the closest thing we're going to get. And I think Loki is still very different from Doctor Who in a lot of ways. Uh, The message that it's trying to get across is very different. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doctor Who basically at the end of the day is trying to say something about uh, pacifism and cleverness and, um, trusting in diversity, mm-hmm. whereas Loki is very much clearly a direct statement about fascism and free will. Well, and Loki is very much internalizing and dealing with the internal jihad, yeah. whereas it sounds like Doctor Who is dealing with an external jihad. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it's, again, very American in a lot of ways. Like, yeah you center the story on this one person and it's all about this one person. There are other characters that help you learn more about this one person, but it's still all about this one person. Even though it's Doctor Who, 
you're following him as he introduces you. He's your conduit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the host. Uh, whereas yeah. in Loki, he is the whole reason you're there. Yeah. And I think there's a, dist- a different distinction there. Yeah. 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 I think tonally you're right. It, it, that is, that is a very, that's a significant difference. Yeah. And so, um, and, and, you know, I mean, I've spent all this time saying this, I don't want anybody to come away thinking that I'm getting down on Loki for right. this or that I'm, or that I'm saying, Oh my God, they just cribbed this from Dr. Who. No, right. You're not saying it's derivative. I'm you're not saying, saying it's, it's derivative. Homage. I'm saying, yeah. well, I'm not even necessarily saying it's homage. I think, I think, um, it can't because it's a science fiction show about time travel. Mm-hmm. It can't help, but have influences from Dr. Who sure. that are, that are direct or indirect. And it's going to revisit ideas and play with ideas that are similar. But I think the 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 similarity in tone and aesthetic mm-hmm. and now on Lamentis, an awful lot of the background painting, matte painting mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, just like the matte paintings from the TVA, you know, the vast city in the background. Right. That's all very Kirby. Yeah. It's also very Whovian. Um, in, in the way that like the TVA is mm-hmm. very brutalist looking kind of interior architecture. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of Dr. Who sets involve a lot of brutalist architecture because it was filmed in Britain in the sixties. Right. Right. You know? And so like aesthetically there's, there's either an homage or just, you know, kind of, kind of a similar vibe going on. Sure. Um, but I, I think, um, I think it's a good thing that we have mm-hmm. that that we have a story in our lexicon that is closer to mm-hmm. what the doctor is. Yeah. It- um, and I think, and and I mean, by itself, it's an amazingly clever show. Mm-hmm. It's Tom Hiddleston is so charismatic he could read the fucking phone book. Yeah. And I'd, I'd tune in for it. Um, and I feel terrible because I can't remember her name now. Uh, Sophia. Oh, the gal Sophia. who plays so, so, uh, Sylvie. Sylvie. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to have, she's just she's to be fair, actress. just to be fair. Yeah. I've got to look at it cause I feel bad if I don't do it. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. Um, you know, and uh, you know, Sophia DiMartino. Oh, okay. She's absolutely amazing. Everybody, all of the supporting characters, like the the hunters, mm-hmm. uh, the, the recurring hunter characters, yeah, on the show, uh, Renslayer, mm-hmm. uh, all of them doing amazing. Like, there's not a dud performance anywhere in it. Very true. And um, I mean, yeah, no, it's it's it is it is an amazing show. Very very well written. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see what they do with the next season because the very ending, like. My my wife and I caught up on it after uh-huh. it had already run. Sure. And so just because I'm on the internet, I uh-huh. I knew I knew my wife didn't because she doesn't follow nerd websites like I do. But sure. I kind of knew broadly what the story beats were all going to be because yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. had gotten spoiled for me already. But the very ending of the last episode, I was still like, okay, no, wait, what? Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it was, it was we, awesome. We had, we had all of this other amazing shit happen and, and now that wait. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and the fact that they were able to pull that off. Well, not only pull that off, was... but pull that off to set up the cartoon now. Yeah. That is, yes. by the way, first episode, yeah. phenomenal. Okay. Uh, so that's dating the show. But well, yeah. It, it was really good. Okay. Um, and uh, a lot of the criticisms are criticizing its very strength, which it's like, oh, y'all never read a what if, did you? So, which is fine. <laughs> what are they? What are they criticizing? Uh, that it. Well, I don't. I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, okay. So, right. uh, but just that they they're all saying it's very derivative. It's like it's a you what never if. Re- you never read a what if, did right? You? Yeah, yeah. So, your, your point, your point stands. Yeah. Like, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And what's fun about it is that um, it it continues to play with this multiverse idea, which is really just opening the door for Spider-Man to come in. Oh. Uh, and, and the X-Men. And, yeah. And, and everything else. Yes. Yeah. And so I I really like where they're going. Uh, did you notice the point? At which um, the one who remains, Immortus, yeah, um, where he has that moment where he's like, "Oh, I see, no I lied what's... to you a minute ago." Right. Yeah. No, but where he says, "I don't, I don't actually know what's going to happen next." Yeah. That moment, if you somebody did this, they played it one to one with the last episode of Wandavision. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was pretty rad. Yeah. So. Um, and, and actually I got into a debate with, with a couple of folks about how, how intentional it was. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my own take was that lines up too perfectly. Right. Not to be like, you can say, well, you know, it's a Marvel ending. So you got to have big amorphous cloud, bad guy. Right. You know, you're going to have all these beats because it's the MCU. I'm like, we're not, yeah, we're not but... talking about, you know, wizard of Oz and dark side of the moon here. Yeah. No, we're talking about two things that were made at the same time. Yeah. About with, the same with, subject, with, with the same overarching, yeah. you know, story bible, yeah, involved. So, yeah. so no, yeah, it's, no, it's, I, I it's fully, pretty rad. Yeah, um, and and talking about fixed points in time, sure. What's what's interesting is now through Loki mm-hmm. in the MCU, mm-hmm. we now have the idea of variant universes and branching timelines and all this stuff. Yes. What's interesting is in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. There is only ever one timeline. He bounces around on the same timeline all of oh, the okay. time. Fixed points in time are just fixed. Yeah. yeah. And beyond timey-wimey stuff. Right. We don't get an explanation. Ah, I got my thing that goes ding. Um right. And and so, you know, other than, than timey-wimey ball... Mm-hmm. There's no there's no explanation of, of why things are point fixed points in time. Um, but everything is on the same timeline. Everything is in the end ultimately linear. Mm-hmm. You do all kinds of chicanery bouncing around on the timeline, but it's always yeah, one yeah, yeah. timeline. There is only, to my knowledge, one storyline in which he makes contact with a parallel universe. Mm. And it's the conclusion, and again, like, this has been part of the lexicon for years, so spoiler alert, whatever. Um, At the end of the Rose Mm -hmm. storyline, in order to foil the master plan of the master, uh, he has to open up or the master opens up. Anyway, there's, there's connection between universes. Okay. Between timelines. Okay. And, 
uh, Rose gets in, in the process of sealing off the other universe. Rose gets sucked through and stuck on the other side. Okay. Rose and is so his assistant. Is is his his companion? Gotcha. And the essentially love interest that has happened since since the reboot. Okay. And so he and she get separated. And at the at the very culmination of that storyline, uh, there's this incredibly overwrought scene where he's in the TARDIS making a phone call across universes, and he says, "I'm bleeding off the energy of a dying star." Mm. to contact you because that's how much energy it takes to, to do this. Okay. Um, and that's the only time mm-hmm. to my knowledge, again, that we see the idea of parallel universes making contact in the, in the Whovian sure. lore that is really hard to do. And it almost never happens. Whereas uh-huh. in the MCU, <laughs> Oh shit, this is earth eight to one. Isn't it? Right. What the hell happened? Right. You know, like, like, no, you can slip and fall. You know, which like, you know, depending on what kind of story you want to tell, you have a different idea of how the metaphysics are going to work. It all serves the story. But I just think it's interesting that one of them is rooted in a very linear idea and the other one is is in the is is rooted in the idea of more um, Schrodinger like. Uh, metaphysics. You know, it, it the cat is both dead and alive at the same time. It doesn't strike me as odd at all, considering what we've discussed already. Is that you know? I mean, you've got the British. Yeah. You know, fixed points in time. Yeah. You you can wander. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you got the American. I'm making new time. That's a good point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What I do matters. I am now creating a new timeline. Right. Yeah. I mean, even in Star Trek, when they accidentally bounced into the mirror universe, yeah, uh, they um, Kirk one hundred percent. There, there, there was no temporal (laughs) prime directive there. Yeah, Yeah. you know, he one hundred percent disrupted everything with his very presence. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, Deep Space Nine did a fantastic job of exploring about four or five times. Oh yeah. Um, so you know the stuff that Trek has done mm-hmm. with parallel universes has ranged from really amazing mm-hmm. to not. Yeah. Well, and they've, um, they've time traveled a few times. Oh too. yeah, they have. Yeah. They have. Um, and and one of my one of my favorite kind of Trek related things about the the mirror universe is you know talking about. Um, Vulcan students at at Starfleet Academy. Have you mm-hmm. seen this this meme from Tumblr? Mm. Talk about you know. Um, eventually, it's it's you know some some you know Vulcan science student is going to have to go to an older Vulcan at, at you know mm-hmm. at, at the academy oh, and go. Yes, yes, yes. You yes, know yes, what yes. what happens? Well, you know what happens when you give humans more than one warp core? Right. They they try to fire it into a star. Yes, they yes. wind up burning a hole through into a parallel universe where they find out everything is run by racists. And that offends them so much mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that they wreck shit there yeah. before they punch their way back into this universe. Right. You know. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. Okay. So. So um, anyway, we're getting off the subject. That's but okay. so that's that's at the end of the day, we we have now probably Mm -hmm. belabored the point but i think i think that loki is the most the most hoovian show we're we're gonna get and it's awesome and i wish we had more stuff like it yeah basically at at the end of 
all of this. Um, that's kind of what it comes down to. And I was just so powerfully struck mm-hmm. by those similarities and, and thinking about where all of that comes from Sure, that, you know, I had to jot something down and try, oh, I like try it. to get an episode I, out of it. Yeah. So. I absolutely enjoyed it. So oh, yeah, what's ultimately, what are you going to walk away from this? Well, with? I think you're, uh, again, having never seen, uh, Dr. Who, I, I think you're likely right. Um, and I think the fact that, um, the fact that Tom Hiddleston's British probably helps. Probably doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, because he can bring a, a sensibility to it that mm-hmm. Americans would be adrift uh, in trying to figure out. And in fact, come to think of it, uh, the um, the variant Loki, what, what was her name again? Sophia. The character was Sylvie. Yeah. The actress is Sophia DiMartino. Sophia Di, so, Sophia DiMartino. Um, her being British. Yep. Uh, as well as, by the way, the old man Loki. Yes. Being being a Brit. Yes. Um he he did a fantastic job as well. Well, you know, and and But I think having all these British folk yeah. uh in this certainly because they would have grown up with Doctor Who being a reality. Oh yeah. Uh I would not be surprised if some of them had turned down spots on it or been offered or, spots on or, it. Or we if if we yeah. look back, I don't think Hiddleston's been on it, but I'm sure I'm sure others probably sure you know um, but uh, the BBC I, is a pretty small community. Yeah, I, I <laughs> think though that um, having people who grew up with that being in in the soup that they were cooking in, yeah, um, just adds that you know, like you hear about times where directors will deliberately keep an actor away from the rest of the cast so that it'll feel more alien to each other and stuff like that. And, and you can't point out the point, the spot where like, ah, that's where that worked, but it just adds to it, thickens Mm -hmm. it a little. I think that, uh, that absolutely added to it. And I wouldn't doubt that like, you know, reading through the scripts, they're sitting there going like, you know, I've, I've seen this. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm going to bring my spin to it now. I think I know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that, 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 that helps. Yeah. So cool. cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what are you going to recommend for us to read or watch that? I'm Loki? going, okay. That isn't Loki. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the other source of my inspiration for these episodes. I'm mm-hmm. going to recommend very strongly that everybody go find some storyline mm-hmm. from Dr. Who. And I'm going to strongly recommend Mm -hmm. that you go with either Tom Baker Mm -hmm. or Sylvester McCoy first. Okay. Okay. Find any one of the serials that they did. Now, Tom Baker was in the role for the longest period of time, so it's going to be easiest to find some of his. He actually wound up kind of getting fired because he made statements in an interview that, like, he was the doctor now. Uh Uh-huh. And so they shit-canned him. (laughs) And he and the franchise had a very contentious relationship for a very long time after that. Uh, But either Tom Baker or uh, Sylvester McCoy first. Okay. Find a a storyline and and watch it with one of the two of them because they're they're amazing. And they are, to me, 
for me, they are the two best actors from the original Who series between 63 and 89. Then I want you to go to, and now I got to look up the title of the episode. Okay. Um, ah, um, wait, the second, the second episode in the pair is the doctor dances. Uh, and this is the first couple of episodes of the new who mm-hmm. or actually, no, I'm sorry. Wait, Dr. Dances is later in the series than that. It's the 10th episode of the first series. Um, oh, I need you to go find the empty child mm-hmm. and the Dr. Dances. And these are to me, two of the most, uh, most Whovian Mm-hmm. episodes from the first episode of the new who series. Now in this, in this series uh, it's Christopher Eccleston who okay. you may recognize from a whole bunch of heist movies, usually playing a bad guy. All right. He's playing the doctor mm-hmm. in this. He was only, he only played the doctor for one season. Um, and this was it. Um, or this was part of it. Uh, then I want you to either choose a storyline of David Tennant Okay. Or Matt Smith. Um, because they're the next two guys to hold the role. Okay. And just get an a a that's that's kind of the Cliff's Notes version of how the series has evolved over this incredibly long history. Okay. And you're probably gonna be able to tell right away from the older episodes, how they're a product of the seventies and the eighties, you're going to be able to tell right away, Mm -hmm. uh, how the later series is definitely a product of the early two thousands. Um, and, and, but just, if you are not familiar with the series, Mm -hmm. take a moment to, to watch it and see whether you're going to like it. Uh, because I think you will, if you are familiar with the series, go back and rewatch some of them. Mm hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and until you've watched some other stuff, don't go watch Vincent and the doctor. Okay. Not because it's bad, but because it will rip your heart out of your chest and squash it flat. Um, because the, the doctor meets Vincent van Gogh. Okay. And the closing moments of the episode for anybody who has ever been through, depression or anybody who has ever been through um anxiety or anything related to the kind of mental health issues that that vincent van gogh suffered during his life Mm -hmm. um the ending of that episode is amazingly bittersweet and you will cry your eyes out because the doctor breaks one of his very important time traveling rules oh in in Oh, in an amazing way. And so anyway, don't watch that until you've watched other stuff because get familiar with okay. who the doctor is before you do that. For those of you who already know the series, go back and watch the uh, Vincent and the doctor. Just go do it. Okay. Because like it's the, it is to me, hands down the best episode out of new who. Okay. And I'm a big fan of tenant rather than Smith, but, and it's a Smith episode, but it's absolutely stunning. All right. And Bill Nye, the British actor Bill Nye okay. um, makes an appearance as a supporting character in it, and he's funny. So anyway, okay, that's that's my recommendation. Familiarize yourself with Doctor Who. If you're already familiar, go watch Matt Smith break your heart. 
via Vincent Van Gogh. Okay. So what do you have now that I've spent, you know, 10 minutes talking about that? What, what do you got for us? <laughs> uh, well, so there is a comic series called Thor and Loki blood brothers, uh, by Robert Rohde and Asad uh, Rimick, I think his name is, okay. uh, or Rurik. Um, and it's essentially, uh, and there's also, um, I think it's on Netflix or something. It's, it's this interesting animation of it as well. Um, but okay. it's, it's a story that starts <clears throat> with essentially, um, Loki having defeated Thor already and Thor is imprisoned. And the whole thing is Loki dealing with Sif and Balder and just kind of like really giving his side of things. Oh. And uh, talking through it, he realizes, I never hated my brother. I need to go and free him. I need to apologize to him. I need to own my part in all this. And he gets down there just as Thor has broken the yoke. And Thor whoops his ass. And, and so it never, and it's just, it's sad as hell. Uh, so <clears throat> that is just a wonderful mm. look inside of Loki's addled mind. Okay. Um, in just, and, and what I've always liked about Loki was that he is a, he is a character who is so driven by forces that he cannot control, though they are within himself. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think I think the series does a really good job mm -hmm. of analyzing that. Yes, like there's 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 a very modern American kind of we're gonna get on the couch and we're gonna we're gonna therapize this yeah kind of aspect to the Loki series that you don't see in Doctor Who. Well, I think that's but, largely you know, because people have such a crush on Tom Hiddleston's version of Loki that like yeah. you need to humanize him, otherwise yeah, it's I, it's I only see that. one note. Yeah, but I I do really like the exploration of him and him having a conscience and finally realizing why it is he has been doing what he's been doing mm -hmm. and realizing how baked into his firmware that is. Now, the other one I want to uh, point out is because we didn't really talk about that many variants of Loki. We talked about old man Loki, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't talk about alligator Loki at all, which no. I, I would just point out <laughs> big, big, big Peter Pan vibes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. To the point where he bites off the other Loki's <clears throat> hand. I oh mean, it's uh, yeah. It's cat and hook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's called Loki Agent of Asgard, and uh, th there is a, a paperback uh, full collection of it. Uh, okay. But if not, if you've got the unlimited app, uh, look at that. Um, but it's essentially um, Kid Loki running around, uh, and uh, he is kind of a one-man secret service for Asgardia, okay. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, right. and, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, I, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. You get a different look at them. Okay. Um, and so that actually just got put together and I think it's, it's, it should be out pretty soon. Okay. Um, so those two things, I really do think the, the blood brothers one is a far better read though, just because it's so wildly different from what you would expect. Mm -hmm. And the artwork is, is phenomenal. Okay. So. That's those are the things I'd recommend. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, on the social medias, where can we find you? I can be found at eh Blaylock on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I can be found at Mr. Blaylock on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, where can you be found? 
Uh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Insta and Twitter. Two H's in the middle. Uh, you can also find me every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Uh, on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Um, so those are some places you can find me. Uh, by the time this airs, I will have already done uh, some really amazing stuff internationally as well as nationally. So sorry you missed it, but you can look them up from previous episodes. Uh, collectively, they can find us at uh, www.geekhistorytime.com and a geek history of time on or at geek history time on uh, the Twitter machine. There you go. All right. Well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, we are burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs>